This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guest this week is Corey Pig. Corey is the host of the new podcast, Failed Missionary, which in its first week climbed up to near the top of the religion and spirituality section of Apple Podcasts. In this conversation, we explore his story of growing up, his early church experiences in intense manipulative situations, and his years working for YWAM, aka Youth with a Mission, overseas. All of these experiences led him to start starting the F- Failed Missionary Podcast, which for some reason is very hard for me to say, Failed Missionary Podcast, where he details the fraught landscape of overseas cri- Christian missions. Failed Missionary fans can also hear a teaser for the upcoming segment of the show in our conversation. But before we get to that, here are a few ways you can help this show. First, you can help support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes, and you can, also, you can of course, just tell other people about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at BRChastain, follow the show at ExvangelicalPod, and like the show on Facebook. And you can also join the Facebook community to find over 2,000 other people talking about these sorts of exvangelical issues in detail, as well as share funny memes and other stuff like that. All right, everyone, let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to Exvangelical. My my guest this week is Corey Pig, who has just started the very uh, interesting and wonderful project Field Missionary, and is also a producer for The Liturgist. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So uh, let's start just um, with getting a little more information about you. I did listen to your uh, your first episode, which was really compelling, uh, of Field Missionary, as well as your uh, appearance on um, the Life After uh, podcast as well, um, but I'd love it for you to share a little bit with the listeners about um, you know your your early years and sort of what got you into uh, religion and evangelicalism. Yeah, so I actually grew up in rural Missouri into a secular family, and I would frame it as um, I mean for the most part they had fire insurance spirituality. Uh, my dad's family definitely belonged to a Lutheran church, but um, there was no or very little context to what the, they believed. And so well, that's where I get the fire insurance thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. At 13 years old, you start the catechism process and the, becoming a member. And I dropped out of that because I thought it was boring and <laughs> it did nothing for me. Yeah. So I frequently caught myself hiding. I, I, would, I, well, I would escape church and go sit in my dad's car and listen to the radio and then I would pop back in after I heard the bells ringing. <laughs> <laughs> that um, is solid. <laughs> yeah. So I, I lost a uh, passion for the church. And then, um, about four years later, the Hillsong movement started getting really big. And, um, there was a worship night where, you know, there, the band was playing all these Hillsong covers and it was pulling all the heartstrings. And so I just felt this genuine, I, I, even to this day, I would tell you I had a genuine experience with 
this thing we call God, whatever that might be. And um, that really threw my life into a totally different trajectory. I mean, like I, that was like the start to a long journey of giving everything to follow this God. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that the um, movement that I gave myself to was this um, kind of charismatic evangelical stream. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's very like the the Hillsong thing. That seems. Uh, was this like late '90s, sort of mid late '90s, yeah. sort of? Okay, yeah. I'm. Yeah, it was like I, when Savior King was coming out, and all of those like major songs that you would have heard in churches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, uh, and like, Passion was also a huge thing, and and the Wow Worship albums, and, yes, and all yes, that stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Bad yeah. music. All all of the same chords, you know, just rearranged differently, and that kind of thing oh yeah g d c d g d yeah <laughs> you get it that's true yeah oh yeah yeah i played i played bass in uh my youth worship team so it was like okay yeah okay. you get it i played keys actually so we have the musician thing in common <laughs> yeah i didn't i wasn't i wasn't a very adventurous bass player so uh so yeah i was playing a lot of root notes and <laughs> you stuck right to the basics that's right yep yeah that's what you um, do in contemporary Christian music. That yeah, you you can succeed with very yeah. <laughs> with very little. In yeah, a, in a suburban uh, youth worship team. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's I mean that's very interesting, and and I think there is something to that experience. And like, um, we're probably in a similar age range. I'm I'm almost thirty five, um, yeah. and yeah. So like, I I definitely remember remember that's that music and that sort of um i don't know like adolescent compulsion to like connect and that's super powerful um but for you it it led you to this charismatic sort of expression so Mm -hmm. um what exactly was that like because i mean i'm even like i i went to methodist churches and then went to a wesleyan college which is a bit more buttoned down than like than uh than charismatic stuff so for me it's that i'm just not as familiar um so if sure. you could ex- explain a little bit um about what 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 that really uh entailed for your particular uh church or worship environment yeah so i'm able to frame it a little better today because i've had several years of therapy um the way i would frame it is um I I had a really great family. My family, I mean, I still have a great family. Um, I have no qualms with them. But, you know, I, I would consider myself kind of like the black sheep or like the odd one out, I guess. And that's only based on like common interest. Um, yeah. So like politics or like even like the day-to-day like hobbies, we had none of that in common. And that there was a sense of growing up inner lo- of inner loneliness And, um, you know, when I found this, I always refer to it as interventionist God. When I found this thing, this entity or deity that, you know, wanted to be a part of every part of my life. And, you know, it was just like this communion of sorts with an imaginary friend. And um, that was very captivating at the time. And uh, that led me to a lot of really unhealthy behaviors within that world of evangelicalism and um 
they freaked my family out quite a bit, actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So how was that received just within your, just within your family? I mean, you can decline to sure. answer that if you want, but. No, I, I, it's an open, I'm an open book. Well, so, you know, I talk a little bit about that sense of inner loneliness growing up um, mm-hmm. and not quite being yeah. in with your family, but, and then meeting this interventionist God. And when you meet interventionist God and this God wants everything to do with your life and wants to be involved in every as- aspect of it. Um, it can be quite powerful, especially when you, you're young like me and you decide, Oh my God, I want to give everything to this God. I want to be so radical and follow this life calling of ministry. That's also a big thing in this world. Like this idea of calling and legacy and vocation and you know, the whole bit. Um, I actually got, quite messed up in a mom and pop style church. I frame it like that um, because I would just say that they don't, they had no elders, they had no covering, they had no accountability. Covering such a Christian word. <laughs> Sorry for using that. <laughs> no, this, uh, is but, the place, you know, this is the place to employ those. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it fostered a lot of really unhealthy behaviors. And so being that charismatic evangelical stream of Christianity, they would bring in people like prophets and healers and that kind of thing. And this prophet guy um, sought me out as kind of like his pawn um, to expose a lot of really bad trauma within the church. And I didn't find that out until 10 years later. Um, But in the moment, it was a lot of indoctrination and a lot of like weird kind of I don't even know how to describe it to you, like almost like gossip funneling, I guess, or like, um, like, so basically there was a lot of sexual and emotional um, and mental abuse from like pastors to kids in the youth or people in the church or, you know, uh, marital affairs and all of these things that were internal knowledge was being released to me through their so-called prophet. And what he was doing at the end of all of that was he taught me he saw me as a safe person to be able to expose a lot of this into the open um and that actually cost me my position in that community i think if i can recall it correctly i was ousted um oh man and this was a community that i had given several months of my time to so like i didn't even talk to my family for most of my time in this church like i was my family already knew that it was cultish um but i mean to give that definition some clarity. I was spending almost every night at this church doing some sort of activity. And if I, you know, wanted to be involved with my family or have any kind of relationship, um, you know, the prophet would, would discourage it because uh, my family's secular and they just don't get it. And, um, you know, God has such a high potential, a uh, high uh, calling on your life. And, you know, you might lose potential uh, if you were to flirt with, you know, some other reality than, uh, than other than what you were giving yourself onto. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, there was a lot of trauma there, but, um, that ultimately led me to where I live today, which is Nashville, Tennessee. And I, um, you know, and from that experience that I had that worship night, I knew that there was some part of God that existed and I was very, curious to check that out. And so I moved to Nashville and pursued spiritual healing. And um, yeah, I, 
Yeah. I don't know if you have any questions that you want to ask before I keep going, but. Um, I mean, that's all. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like really, really heavy to be put on a young person, like yeah. to to be this. Uh, well, well, to be some someone else. I'm guessing that there was an age difference, and that this person was was, you know, acting as a mentor, but placing. Oh, all it was this. like a fifteen or seventeen, maybe twenty twenty year difference. Yeah. yeah, and then they're they're trying to to you know they're funneling what you call, you called it gossip funneling you know just filling you with all this all this like just yeah that uh, that's messed up. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was like, one person. It was essentially it was one person that had absorbed so much knowledge of trauma from within one church community, and because of their position within the community, they were not in a position to expose that stuff themselves. Um, and so they entrusted me with it and, you know, it served its purpose. I exposed it <laughs> and got kicked oh, out. Man. So, yeah, yeah. 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 That did, that did no service to you in any way. You, you were, con- quote, you know, they were, they were giving you information and then, uh, yeah, that's, and then once you acted on it, yeah, that's awful. Like you, you yeah. bore the consequences. That sure. person didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So when you refer to spiritual healing, what did what did that look like? Was that something where, um, because, yeah, I'm I'm just curious what that looked like, what that looked like for you, and and what the sort of next step was. Well, I mean, in that time, it looked like. I'm going to use Christian terms for an example, or sure. for this example. Um, you know, but in that frame of mind, they would refer to you as like a baby Christian, right? You haven't been in the faith long, and you have a lot of growing up to do and, and interpersonal work to do. And so I, there was a lot of those, um, you know, inner loneliness kind of things that I was still working on and trying to get, you know, this movement is really heavy on the identity of God and um, so I signed up to do my, this church in Nashville's ministry program, uh, the well, ministry school program, sorry. And, um, the interesting thing about this is like, when I first experienced this thing I call God, um, I had no qualms with any part of myself. You know, I felt a genuine acceptance and that's why I still to this day would look back on that and think, yeah, I experienced something otherworldly, you know? Yeah. Um, but the more I got steeped into this kind of movement, um, you know, I realized it was going to cost me a part of myself that I didn't necessarily feel like I, ha- I should have to give up. But if I wanted to pursue that calling of missionary or this thing that I thought God had for me, then I knew it was going to take some level of assimilating. Um, so there was a guy that came into the church community and he was doing like this father's heart conference. And he, uh, that's also a big thing in that movement. And, um, and he, uh, he would, he said that he was like an ex gay kind of pastor or teacher. And now he's happily married and has kids and all these things. And, um, I had basically exposed to him that, Hey, I, I'm aware that my sexuality is fluid and um, like I, I would, you know, this is how I would talk then, but I would say I would like healing to pray. I would like you to pray for healing for that. 
Um, and he did, and he said some encouraging things that I can vaguely remember at this point, but he also went and told the church leadership and without my knowledge. And um, I found out two years after that, that, um, that the pastor at that time uh, went and told a bunch of his friends at a poker game. And so one of those friends was actually one of my mentors. And uh, he had called me and was like, you know, hey, I heard you were gay and from from the pastor. And I'm like, that's actually not true. I, I had just said that my, it, my, my sexuality was fluid, but, you know, um, I tried hiding it because I knew that I had this calling to be a missionary. And I, I just wanted to focus on that. And so that began this radical, like, it was like a militant repression of sorts uh, or assimilation to become something that I was never wanting to be. Um, but, and so I had all these sweet opportunities thrown my way. There was a, a guy that worked at a record label that I had looked up to because I was uh, very heavily involved in the local scene and so scene bands, you know, like that, at that time, Christian music was becoming a huge thing and hardcore and punk and, all of those emo pop genres. And um, he was starting this thing, other thing. And so he invited me on as an intern and that turned into like a full on office position over time and more things. And, you know, I went on to do YWAM, which was youth with a mission, you know, not to speak in acronyms. Um, and so I, for years I was heavily involved in this artist and missionary kind of thing. And the more I kind of weaseled my way up the ranks, so to speak, I got really good at crafting my language and crafting my beliefs. And, you know, in the time I thought I was doing something noble, like I thought I really believed a lot of these things. Um, but it wasn't for a couple of years until the house of cards started crumbling on all of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am, I am curious, like, it, it sounds like you, um, it, it sounds like you went from like one sort of really dramatic event to the next where all these, were sure, all these like yeah. strung together, like in such a, like this, uh, I mean, you, the way were, that I talk about it. Well, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning that in, in any way, like the, no, I, I know, I know what I'm, what I'm, just... what I'm, what I'm actually trying, what I'm actually trying to what I'm actually curious about is whether there was any sort of um, – were at any point, were you, like, disengaged from this sort of stuff for a while, or did no, you – No, not at all. Okay, yeah. It, it was one thing after another after another. Like, I just was so good at it. Um, and because I legitimately – like, this culture buys into calling and legacy, and so – Mm -hmm. I was so good at crafting things around me that I fooled myself and others into thinking that I had this really great call to be a missionary. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it seems like you, I mean, you pursued that in despite like the people around you failing you, like, yeah. you know, you were let down by multiple leaders that, that, that you confided in. Um, but you continued to like pursue this, which, I mean, I I know it 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 caused you a lot of trauma. But I'm I'm saying that it's that that is oh. from your own, um, 
it's it's from your own inner drive. It's not from the the people from the hearing you. It's it's from your inner drive and not from the people that that let you down. Like you continue totally. To- yeah, I I would I would say I was really in love with Jesus, uh, the person of Jesus, and I I never had any desire to convert people. Um, that was never on my radar. I could care I couldn't have cared less about that. Um, and I think that view of of, of Jesus was superseded like all of the other dipshittery around me, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. and kind of kept me going um, because my ambitions or my motives weren't based on my leaders or people around me. Mine were totally selfish. I mean, selfish in the aspect of I just wanted to share the love of Jesus, you know, and I wanted to sit with the world's pain. And so I would do whatever I could to stay in that job. But as noble and lofty as that sounds and as well-intentioned as that sounds, that's very selfish and that's very self-serving. And um, In what way? It's a feel-good thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so it's all about, at, at first glance, you think it's about everybody else. And to some degree it is, but for most of that, it's for yourself. And it's to make yourself feel better about yourself and to feel good. And that's something that you see on the mission field. And I'm not talking about the older crowd that has been at this for several years. I'm speaking to like the younger generation that gets into this movement. And they, a lot of these people that are doing this are doing it out of place of inner loneliness and whether they want to recognize it or they don't. And so a cleaner way, I mean, that we could look at it is a lot of these short-term missionaries are going on inter like personal development trips, interpersonal de- development trips, you know, I, that's the way I would frame it. Yeah. Cause it's all about them uh, and, so, and personal development. So it was those two, it was a twofold journey. You know, there was the genuine expression of, I feel like I've had this real encounter with Jesus and I want to mirror that to the world. But it was also, if I'm being candid with you, it was also a journey of, self-serving and making myself feel better about myself. Yeah. And that's, that's from the, what you've mentioned as far as that sense of inner loneliness and trying yeah. to address that. And yeah. Um, and I, I think your, your, your framing of like the, the interventionist God is, is a, is pretty, is pretty apt. Um, be, just because like, if you do have, uh, if you do have that sense of, uh, being a misfit, like, and there's this, you know, Jesus is like, he attracts misfits. Like, yeah. even in the gospels, totally. he attracts misfits, you know? Um, yeah. So that, I mean, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that has an appeal. And especially, you know, I, I can't imagine, I can't speak to like youth, youth group culture today. Um, but you know, if, if you if you're being cyberbullied or something, and you go to a youth group and people are nice to you, like I'm sure that's an appeal. <laughs> sure. And, but yeah, and but that's a little uh, that's a, a different bit of a um, uh, a rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> yeah. But just uh, within uh, mentioning, like you were saying, like uh, uh, the appeal to to young people of of religion, like I think that is true. Like and and people do. Um, are compelled to sort of figure themselves out during those years, and why not? 
uh, you know, throw in a mission trip, I guess. (laughs) Well, I mean, so this is the other thing too, like, because my Facebook, my personal Facebook profile has like, oh, I went to school at University of the Nations and I was on staff with Youth with a Mission. Um, I get targeted for all these ads from missions organizations. And I know they're targeting younger people as well, but you see things like take a year off of your life and travel for Jesus. That's like a real thing the world race used. And I would laugh react to it because it's hilarious. Like it's a joke. And I've since been blocked by the, by the world race, uh, world race because I laugh react to it. So I can see their ads now, but I can't react to them. Uh, but why, but why does the same thing? Like why will target like actor missionaries and hiking missionaries and barista missionaries and these you know, these DTSs, the discipleship training schools are located in really great parts of the world, like Finland and Hawaii and Australia. Like who wouldn't want to go um, be a barista or hiking missionary or an actor missionary or whatever, um, because you it's under the guise of you're spreading the Great Commission, whatever that means, because um, that's yeah. even become such a vague term in these organizations. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about this whole barista missionary. Thing. <laughs> okay. I listened to your podcast and that was the that was like I I was driving home from work and I almost had to pull over. <laughs> like, oh. like a barista missionary, like what the what the hell is that? <laughs> like, it's so true. And I, I know we're going to we're going to talk a lot about missions, sure. but let's let's make that the first thing. Because I want to know what that is. Well, I, to be honest with you, I never have been a barista missionary, so I can't tell you in full detail. I'm, but you, I'm sure there's an elaborate definition for that. But right, but there's a there's there's an ad manager somewhere that that wrote and wrote copy and found a stock photo for for barista missionary. There, there's so, a full on <laughs> seven month program for you to go to to be a barista missionary. Okay, let's. I, I need to I need to hear this and then we'll get into <laughs> then this will be this will be a good segue. <laughs> well, I mean, like you just go like for you or anybody listening, you can go to your Google right now and type in barista discipleship training school and it'll be full of results where you can go to these awesome parts of the world and become a barista missionary. And basically the way they're gonna frame it to you is you're going to be present with people and you're serving them you're you know the hospitality of serving people caffeinated beverages and um you're developed they would frame it as you're developing relationships with the locals and through that over time you're maybe slowly changing lives um <laughs> but maybe you're not and maybe you're just having people fund your life overseas as a barista <laughs> All right, here's one in uh, Australia. There you go. I, think I might be a mission. But there- okay, now I need to tell my wife. I need to tell my wife and daughter I'm going to Australia to be a barista <laughs> missionary. Yeah. There's definitely more than one, but um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, this is wild. This is wild. And I want to be on. I, I want to be upfront with you too. Like I'm not, I'm not jaded or bitter at this point. I mean, I, I'm like three and a half years, three years out of therapy. But what made me realize, like the joke behind all of it, is like I gave five or six years of my time as a missionary to to being this artist missionary, right? Like I went to Germany 
to sit with a group of artist missionaries who fundraised to live off the margins of their friends at home. And they sat in their apartments on Netflix and painted pictures and took photographs and made really crappy music and thought that like this was changing people's lives. And the reality is, is it didn't do anything. Um, it was all a feel good act. And the, I will say like the artists were really good. Like these artists were top notch people who could make bank in America if they were smart and business savvy, but they're not. And um, so from my experience uh, being this artist missionary for so long, I began to look around and be like, oh my God, like these people are trying to capitalize off of so many different hobbies of young people. And it's all to the betterment of the organization, right? Like they're trying to get these young people in to keep this mission going. And what better way to do that than to attract them on these crazy hobbies? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's wild. <laughs> it sounds like a joke. It's totally real. You can Google. All yeah. Of it. I'm on the YWAM Newcastle page right now. <laughs> yeah. Just cause I, yeah. So, there you go. Okay, great. So let's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little flummoxed right now. Yeah. Um, by this news, <laughs> it's, that's okay. um, let's talk about, uh, about your time in Germany, you said, uh, so you went sure. from these, these different, um, ventures in Nashville to spending the next several years, uh, with YWAM in Germany. Mm-hmm. So how did you get in touch with them? And, um, you you just mentioned how how a lot of it was just sort of fostering this artist collective. Yeah. Um, but what what what? How did you get connected with the organization? What was the organization? Sure. Uh, like and what was your general experience over that time? Yeah. Because it sounds like that that's where a lot of things, uh, like the bubble burst and and that sort of stuff started to happen. Oh yeah. So um, well, my life kind of is such a movie in and of of itself. I mean, not to be, it's not a narcissistic claim, but all of these circles kind of overlap each other. And so Mm -hmm. when I moved to Nashville, there was a woman there presenting her work in Ethiopia and they were doing this, like saving the babies from water thing, but yet she was an artist missionary. And so she talked about her time in Germany because that's where she was based. And that captivated me. And so I didn't think much about it. That's when I did the church's ministry school program. And a year later, about 15 of these people came over to Nashville and they did all these art shows and things like that. And they're trying to raise money and recruit. Like that's how these tours work, but it worked on me. So I went to YWAM and I did a discipleship training school. It was called marriage of the arts. And so it was a school of like 130 artists of maybe seven different forms of art. And so we just sat around and made a bunch of art for three months. We did. We learned about like the father heart of God and all of these YWAM themes of discipleship. And then they subjected you to outreach. Um, and usually along the way, they're putting their feelers out to recruit people. So uh, I was one of the lucky people to be guilted into a two to five year staff commitment. And I didn't act on that right away. I went back to Nashville. That's when I worked at this other organization that worked with bands, which is now dead, so to speak. And um, after, when, that, when that organization started dying, 
that, you know, I wanted to be that awesome missionary and keep going. And so YWAM, Parenthood, where I did my DTS, they had called, like the people called and said, hey, we're going to go to this other base in Nuremberg. And we know that you love that city. And I did love that city. Um, I had done some work there in the red light district. And um, so they're like, we're going there to start our art artist base there where we're moving off. And, you know, we've got it kind of under control. We're looking at buildings and all the stuff, but they played it up as everything was good to go. And so I broke the news to my family that I was moving to Germany and pursuing my full-time missionary career over there. My mom cried and ran out of the room. Like it freaked her out. Um, but I did it. And then a month, well, pretty much a week after I arrived, I realized like nothing was as it was sold to be. Um, like nothing was put together. Um, there were little to no details known about this move. And, um, you know, two weeks into that, I found out from a family friend that my parents were getting a divorce. And so my parents didn't tell me because they didn't want, they, they told me they didn't want that in my mind while I was working overseas. And, um, so that, you know, that land, that was this like long process of trying to grieve a divorce that was like a 20 some year marriage and also trying to put the pieces together of, holy shit, I just moved my life halfway around the globe for a shit show. And I, nothing of my life makes sense right now. Uh, and I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. And so when I look back on that time, I have memories of like, well, most of the leaders were not approachable. So you had to pretty much email them to get a meeting with them. So to my advantage, I have all of these emails where I can see that I emailed so-and-so trying to get out. And I tried getting out like four times in a year. Um, and sure, like I want to be up front and say, like, if I really, truly wanted to go home, I could have. Like, I wasn't held against my will. But I mentally was wrapped around their fingers. Like, they totally used a lot of language of, if you leave us, you're going to. Uh, same as like what I witnessed several years earlier. It was the same language of, if you leave us, you'll lose all potential in life. Like, you can only fulfill God's dreams for you here with us. Like, we're your people. We're the only ones that believe in you. And so there were that, and that's a little, that's really cultish. Um, but I bought it and I stayed every time. Um, every time we sat down in Starbucks to have those encouragement meetings, I stayed and I didn't go home. And so to fast forward quite a bit, this base was so disorganized. Like they, you know, they shoved 130 students in a building that was not zoned for housing. It was an office building. So there was four toilet, eight oh, toilets, gosh. maybe to like 130 students. There was no kitchen. The, uh, they bought like a mili mobile military kitchen that could have severely hurt the kids, but, but they didn't care. Um, and the students were really, uh, is this a word like malnutritioned? Like they were not given a good diet. Um, yeah, malnourished. Malnourished. There yeah. you go. Jesus, I'm bad with it. <laughs> no, you're not. So there was that aspect. Everything, every, and they had to like bike an, a mile just to get to their showers, which were, by the way, community showers in a pool house. Um, so none of this was like good. And as time went on, the students became illegal because YWAM was used to breaking this YWAM base was used to breaking visa rules in Germany and getting visas like they were fast food and 
until they eventually got found out and the students were, you know, becoming illegal because their, their paperwork wasn't done on time. And so what happened was what normally is a 60 day outreach in this program became a 90 day outreach because, in, you know, Germany is a part of the Schengen zone. And if your visa or if you're kind of, if you've overstayed your limit in Germany at this point, then you've got to stay out of the whole Schengen zone, not just, not, not just Germany. And that, that zone is like 29 countries or so. So because of the family trauma that I had at home, I offered to lead a team, uh, outreach team to China and I, it was given to me and, um, things kind of looked good there for a hot minute. Um, but you know, I've never filled out visa paperwork and here I am now filling out visa paperwork for 25 people. And I asked the leaders like about the, about the form, you know, they research this, they're going to find out where YWAM and YWAM is not a good situation for China. Yeah. Cause it's a missionary organization and that's not allowed. Right. Is, yes, exactly. And so, and so, um, they found out instantly and that I had to fill out a letter of declaration of intent. And if I, you know, if, any of my students were to step out of line. I agreed that I would take the hit for it, which that was never defined, but that's what they wanted me to put in writing. And so I did. And then they accepted that. And, um, they, um, told me, Hey, you have two minors on your team. They can't come in for, you know, they listed two to three reasons off, but mostly it was like anti-trafficking laws and all this stuff. So I took that back to my leaders and, you know, my leader, this is a huge thing in YWAM as well. Uh, my leaders were like, you know, you just got to learn how to fight for people. Like they're going to go to China. Like we've got to believe God for this. And so we're going to send these two minors to Hong Kong to get their visas because we've done this before. And, you know, we've seen it work. Well, I was only good with that if they were okay with that and their parents, like both of them at the same time, neither separated from each other. Right. And to my knowledge, from talking with both parties, neither party got asked for approval on that. And so these two girls went to Hong Kong and they um, were stranded there for several days until they made it with us in the team. But something I should note real quick, um, you know, the breaking point, you asked where the breaking point. Well, this is where it starts breaking. Uh, There was a morning where I was on my way, like this was like a whole week and a half process where I was going traveling two hours one way um, just to go to the the consulate. And one morning I woke up to a text from my then pastor and I told the story on the life after, but it's also a story worth telling here because you, I guarantee you have a lot of listeners that haven't heard it. And so that story is that every chapter, he sent me every page of a chapter of a Henry Nouwen book. Henry Nouwen's this Catholic priest Mm -hmm. and he's no longer living, but in his, it was a book about spiritual formations. And this was a chapter. um, I think the chapter was titled from sorrow to joy, or it was basically on the topic of grieving and and turning grieving into joy. Right. And it opens with this Buddhist parable of Kisa Gotami and the mustard seeds. And based in short, this woman's son died. She's taking the son to Buddha. Buddha's like, I'll heal your son if you can go to every house in the town and get these mustard seeds. But with the caveat that you have to go to a house that death hasn't touched. And if you can do both things and bring it back to me, I'll, I'll heal your son. And he knew what he was doing because death has touched every house. And so this woman bought, bought into it. 
she wore herself out by going to every house in the town and every house had the ingredients, but every house death had touched. And so she returns to the Buddha and she gives up. Like she knew that at that point that he sent her on a journey of like, Hey, you've got to come to terms with what is and be like, there is no changing it. There is no external source. And I frame that as I wept on the bus. Like I, I'm pretty sure that the people that were on that bus with me that morning probably thought that I went through a bad breakup, but that to me was the morning that interventionist God had died. And I just realized like this is like the severance. Like I, I am parting ways with beliefs that I have held for, gosh, at this point it was eight years or so. And it was beliefs that I was really emotionally attached to because I thought that there was this interventionist God out there that, you know, what wanted to be best friends and, and control all areas of my life. But I went on to China and, um, you know, like that was a time of really horrific, uh, logistical errors and uh, there was personal trauma you know like we had a married couple that miscarried on the outreach and that threw the team totally out of whack oh gosh and so yeah I mean it was just three months of hell and um, that was the breaking point I just realized like I have to be done with I, I, I am done with this you know um, there was a lot of I had a really explosive exit with YWAM I didn't leave on good terms um, and I tried, so this is the, this is the ironic thing. Like I tried to stick with the missionary vocation. And this is something that I forgot to mention on the life after we were recording so late. Um, but I, that, that organization that worked with the bands and stuff, they were trying to revive it and they sold it off to this really conservative organization. And I got asked to come back to help with the transition. I thought, okay, maybe this is God's way of keeping me in the missionary vocation. But um, as much as I love the structure and that was kind of soothing to a very traumatized soul, I, the militancy behind it, uh, two or three months into it, kind of made me come to grips with myself. And, you know, I remember sitting across from my mom at home for the first time in seven years and being like, I'm quitting my job tomorrow because I don't think I believe in God anymore. <laughs> and uh, so that, you know, that got me out of it, I guess. That was that was the end of it. And that led me into this journey of um, therapy and self-care and really trying to find my way forward in a way that was healthy for me and in a way that I um, embodied all that I am, I guess. Come forth, bear witness. See the prophet from your love. Beg for forgiveness. Only after you're telling the cost. Yeah, yeah, that's quite the. That's, that's, that's quite a lot to go through in a handful of years. Um, yeah, and that's. Especially, especially the sort of high pressure stuff that was happening with you in, while you're in another country. I mean. It sounds like what you've said, like you were familiar with Germany, you traveled some in your life, but I mean, to do it under those circumstances and to be responsible for people, that's just a, a whole other level and to be doing it in, you know, 
in the name of God, uh, and also to uh, <laughs> you, you can read whatever you want into that inflection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, um, I mean, the manipulation that was employed to to keep you employed. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's so much, uh, so much to unpack there, and it's under you know. I'm glad that that you, that you're removed from that. Um, I'm sorry that you know you you had to go through that, but it sounds like you're uh, in a healthier place, and that it's actually informing your your project now. Yeah, because um, you're yeah you're like, um, I like to think personally that there is some sort of um, redemptive quality to projects like yours and like this show. You know, yes. like it's cathartic. Taking, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and you're um, redeeming your you're redeeming and making sense of redeeming such a Christian word. I'm sorry for that, but <laughs> you're making no, sense no, no, of your no. past, I, you know. And yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so, like before we sort of pivot to talking uh, about field missionary, like you, mm-hmm. um, within those last within the last few years and everything, you you've been able to sort of un- unpack these things and let yourself. Have you been able to do that and like sort of let yourself sort of be? I think uh, you use that that like be embodied and and take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. have you really? Have you, you? Do you feel like you've been able to do that much more successfully without the sort of external pressures of um, either an organization or this sense of um, obligation to the interventionist understanding of God? Oh, yeah. And I want to know, too. So, like, when I, well, when I first came out of all of this, you know, I had a really good friend. His name was, his name is Andrew. Where he's one of my co-hosts on the show in a couple of episodes. And um, he has always been a very intellectual person um, and figure and a really great friend in my life. And when I, he, I, he knew that I had left everything before everybody else did. And he, um, encouraged me to do this program called Atheism for Lent, which is a program ran by Peter Rollins, who's a Mm -hmm. theologian and philosopher. And um, that program was very instrumental in me recovering a perspective of faith after the loss of this interventionist evangelical God. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, but but even though that was only a couple of weeks long, the grieving process for this interventionist evangelical God was about two years. It wasn't a short thing and it was actually quite volatile. Um, So I really, when I see like some of your crew on Twitter or in the private group, I resonate so much with a lot of the, the, the trauma that they experience because it's such a necessary grieving process that has to take place. And one that has to be carefully stewarded i guess i don't know how you should say that but carefully handled and yeah. um i need to really stop with the christian language oh my gosh what's happening <laughs> yeah it's, it's so weird it's i don't have to talk like this but i'm just trying to use words that i would have in that time um yeah but no you can use you can pivot you can just you can switch in and out of that yeah you know, christian code <laughs> so i look through i so uh, you know something to note about my journey out is there was a lot of significant cult trauma um, a lot of mind control, a lot of um, brainwashing, you know, that's 
Um, sadly, that's I don't use those lightly at all, and I don't use them bitterly, but I just call it for what it is. And so that even to this day, I'll notice like just random triggers with like, I don't like to be identified. I don't like identifiers. I don't like labels. Um, and so today, like it scares the hell out of Christians. You know, I had, I took it, I'll admit to you on the show, like I changed all of my social media bios because when people would read that I'm reverently agnostic or a mystic, they think, Oh my God, agnostic, but he's really far out there. Like he's not even one of ours anymore, you know? And I quickly realized that um, with evangelicalism, it's, it's a very tribal thing. And it's, and oh, yeah. people want to know right off the bat, like what, I mean, what, so when I started the show and it, whatever, I would get all these random DMS from people and their questions are always, what do you identify as now? And I've quickly learned like what they really want to know is, are you on my team? And yeah, I have to figure out. Yeah. And I have to figure out a way to turn the weapon into a plowshare and kind of figure out how do I make peace with this and let them know, yeah, I am on your team, but like there are steps that we need to take to get to know each other, right. To know that we're on each other's team. So, so I, you know, it was a long I've been on a long journey of trying to rediscover what God means to me and what Jesus means to me. I am definitely not atheist. I do believe in uh, God and I do believe Jesus and who he said he was, but I'm very, very hesitant to use any kind of descriptors uh, or, or mm -hmm. labels. Um, I don't hold to a lot of dogma or doctrine, but, and so in that regard, I would say I'm reverently agnostic and my approach to Jesus, but Jesus is my center of how I interpret the world. Right. Um, not, and so, and I, I'm, I'm still putting language to all of that and this project yeah. and my life outside of that is kind of that process ongoing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you are absolutely right. You, you, um, you always have to, to be able to describe like, you know, I'm, I'm not a five point Calvinist. I'm a three point Calvinist. Oh, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> I don't give a shit I've about that some... stuff. <laughs> no, I know. I know. But, but yeah, I don't either. I'm, I was never Calvinist. Yeah. And, but like somebody told me once that they're a three point Calvinist. I'm like, damn it. You know, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be, uh, so anyways, it's just, um, it's really, yeah, it's always, it's really sad how much fear is in that background. I mean, I came from it, so I'm speaking only on my experience, but I also see that in the reflection of the people that come to me and want to know where I stand and where I identify myself as like, there's a lot of fear behind those questions. And, um, to me, it's incredibly sad because I don't, it's so far removed from anything that I've read of the historical Jesus. And, um, yeah, it's really sickening, but yeah. 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 I'm with you on that. It is very, very tribal for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about failed missionary. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's a very, very interesting project and it was really, really awesome to, to see it just, um, climb and climb the religion and spirituality section of the, uh, Apple, uh, podcast app over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. and Thank uh, you. yeah, just kudos to you for, for the work and for, for, making something that just has resonated so far. Um, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's definitely a very interesting thing, and it, 
as as we already mentioned, like you, um, you know, you're you're taking this experience, um, these experiences you had, and utilizing it as this way to to um, to identify and, and help you know help encourage other people who 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 you know have gone through similar processes. So, mm-hmm. uh, t- walk me through what what eventually led you to do the podcast and and what what your plans are for it and mm-hmm. and. Uh, let's just let's just hear more about it because it's it's sure. a great thing and yeah. I originally wanted to start it um, a year and a half ago, so it's been so long in the making. But the re- it was put on hold because as I began to work on it, I kind of realized I had a lot of internal work to do, and um, I couldn't do the show at, at halfway triggered. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't want to come off as a bitter project. I always had this vision to kind of. Um, I want to expose the dipshittery, but I also want to have a genuine real conversation of how we can stop it and start something different um, and make more meaning out of it. And so the, um, the show and it went through like, as I was re envisioning it, it went through like five variations of it. Like I, I'm pretty embarrassed that I publicly announced it a year and a half before it actually launched because I think a lot of people were like, are you even serious? Like, we don't even believe you until we hear this. <laughs> um, but so the show is the show is hosted by myself, but I bring in uh, a lot of my close friends that were missionaries with me on the field and people also that I knew on like through other friends as co-hosts. And then and, and they're brought in. Uh, according to the topic where they would fit more comfortable in as far as like what's more suited to their background or their personality. And, um, and on, so we layer that conversation on top of thought leaders. And I really aimed very high to not make this an echo chamber. So a lot, like I would say right now, as it stands, half of my guests are actually evangelical conservatives and half of them are people that are Christian with no affiliation, or they might be even people that were once Christians and are now agnostic or um, maybe humanist of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the purpose behind it is to create a um, more genuine approach to how do we better live out this spirituality that we embody, and uh, and in the process we do definitely name all the ways that we've screwed it up along the way. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's where it's at now. I think that's where it's at now. Yeah, that's and that's great. I um, it, it is. If you haven't already uh, downloaded the first episode, um, be certain to do so. I think by the time this gets published, uh, you'll probably have the second episode out as well. Um, yes, it's a, but, it's a, it's supposed to be a weekly show. I was I, I was out of town this last week, so that threw my. I have a actual real job on top of the show, so. Um, when my real <laughs> right. job throws off the show, then, you know, life happens, but our idea is that it would be a weekly show. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Sometimes, um, um, one small, small team run or one person run podcast, they run into delays. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I sure hope yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it is definitely very interesting, uh, as far as what you said there, you know, with, uh, with the echo chamber, cause that is, mm-hmm. um, it, it does seem like something that, that, you, that can happen for sure. Um, and it's good that you, that you built that in, 
built that into your show. I am curious how, um, how, and I will be curious to see and listen to the show how um, those that are still conservative and evangelicals really really talk to it. Um, I can uh, give you. A, I can just skim right over that right now if you want. Sure. Yeah. The interesting thing I found in the research of the show, I mean, so like if I interviewed evangelicals, more nine times out of 10, they're on this academic level, right? So I'm not going to like John Piper and Bill Johnson asking for their thoughts. I could care less. I could not care less about their thoughts. But Mm -hmm. um, in academia, they nobody hands them a microphone. And these are the people that spend dedicated time studying real issues. And it was quite interesting to me that like there are evangelical anthropologists and sociologists actually studying this modern phenomena of missions and they don't have nice things to say about it. And they don't agree with their loud um, congregants or like people that share that faith with them. And so it's really interesting. Like I like that was one thing when we aired the first episode, people were like, well, great, but it's one-sided. And I'm like, well, it's actually not one-sided because half of these people are evangelical and half of them aren't. And there's such a wide range, but everybody has similar conclusions and that should be telling in and of itself. Um, like uh, my, my conservative evangelical guests are employed by some of the nation's more, most conservative universities. Universities that probably aren't thoroughly proud of the show, but I think at the end of the day, they would side with like the research of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that is a very interesting sort of phenomenon where you have these people that are, um, that are, uh, accredited professors and they, they have studied, studied these sorts of things and are employed by those organizations. Um, but, uh, like Christian academia is sort of at the mercy of very conservative alumna donors, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and and very dogmatic um, presidential, um, you know, like academic presidents like Jerry Falwell Jr. at uh, Liberty. And yeah, Things it's like, like why do we hand this guy a microphone? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Franklin Graham. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that. That is one of the that's that's a great honestly like a great service and a great uh, outlet that that you're creating and what I think is a a great thing for podcasts to do in general is to hand mics over to people that that won't be given them by places like the Atlantic or the Washington Post or the New York Times um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because because they just don't have the connections or the cachet or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very enlightening just because um, missions, it is a, it is like a very, I don't know whether it's very common, but it is a, a common thing for people to go on these days. Usually it's people that have had and have been in church for the last 20 or 30 years probably have some sort of mission story if they went to like an evangelical school oh, or sure. an evangelical church. Um, and... To like to your point, like they recruit like a barista missionary. That's a very compelling thing for a young person to be like, okay, 
Peace Corps or this thing, you know? <laughs> well, that's the um, irony is like a lot of the modern phenomena of short-term missions got their ideas from the Peace Corps and married it with commercial travel. And so a lot of these kind of wacky ideas came out of the marriage of those two things. And uh, today it's estimated that 2 million people a year from the United States alone are participating in these short-term trips. Um, and it's a huge waste of resources. Hmm. Like in yeah, a church. Those, yeah. That's, that's, that's wild. I think I saw you, uh, send a, I think you mentioned, you mentioned it in your first episode that like $2 billion yeah. are spent towards that's, that's a crazy amount of capital. I mean, uh, the actual, st- I don't know if we actually, I don't remember if we got into it on the first episode. I actually, I need to look into that tonight, but, um, Missions in and of itself globally is a $53 billion industry. Wow. So it's, it's a joke. Like if, if, if missions is worth $53 billion a year, the, the world should look a lot different. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> that's, that's wild. I did yeah. not know that. And the funny oh, thing is, man. is out of the research, I'm now I might be a little off on the figures here, but I think I saw like Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary did this study, but of Christian income, and I'm pretty sure it was the fact that seven hundred billion dollars is like the Christian income, um, and the way the figures were used, it wasn't by the seminary; it was by another group. But they were trying to say, like, oh, we need to pump more money into missions because only 45 or $53 billion is getting into missions. And it's like, holy shit. Like, if $53 billion is getting into missions, the, we're not using that money wisely. Nobody is using that money wisely. Wow. So, so 700, what's what's the other part of income to make up the other $647 million, billion? Well, they were just, like, the way I read the stats, and I could be totally wrong on this, but the way I read it is that's just, like, Christian income at large. Like, and then out of that income, collectively, 45 or $53 billion is spent on missions. And so they, their whole thing is, wow. like, Christians make this much, and they only give this much, but they should be giving more, you know. And again, that wasn't the seminary that conducted the study. It was another group that was trying to advocate for more finances to be given to missions. But, um, but wow. the reality is behind all of that is like, again, if, if it is $53 billion globally getting pumped into missions, the world should look a lot different. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is, that is shocking. And you know, the hope is, I mean, I, the hope is too, that people will go on these trips and come home changed and the studies are there to say that that's not how it works. Like people don't come home changed. That's a proven study by an evangelical anthropologist. So that argument is so quickly debunked. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, another thing uh, that I, I I do I did like about your first episode is that it, it is like very informative as well as very like personal um because you are giving these 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 facts and you're also sort of talking about these um these realities that that people have like 
Jamie Wright, Jamie, the very worst missionary, mentioned how like she was in this training that just was this random collection of people, mm-hmm. like um, that they had just sort of collected as willing participants, I guess. Um, yeah. And that just even that anecdote sort of captured like both the logistical realities of it as well as sort of like this is where these people are coming from uh, and what what they may be trying to get away from um, by going on these missions, which is really um, enlightening. Well, and that's like that. And so that points back to like the beginning of my journey is that, you know, you look at today's culture and it's you, the statistics are also there to show that like mental health is declining from the amount of time that we spend on social media and all of these other things. And, you know, there is in culture, it's, there is, we are so disconnected today from each other. We, we don't, we're not connected to one another. And so there's a lot of loneliness and especially in younger people, but they, um, I mean, and in the Christian crowd, especially that they are looking for ways to feel better about themselves and what better way to do it than to throw yourselves, throw yourself at a missions organization because you fool yourself by thinking you're serving God and people at the same time. And it's, um, it's a really weird inner development trip, but yeah. 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 So, um, with, with the podcast, are you, are you thinking that you'll be, um, what, what's the format going to be? Is it going to, um, be like a more of a seasonally based thing or you mentioned, was it a, a weekly publishing? What are your, um, what are your plans? Because it sounds like you've been working on this uh, and working up to releasing this for a long time, and it's definitely also indicated in in your first episode that's, yeah. that's been released so far. That's a really good question. Um, you know, something that I want to people to know is when you hear the first episode of the very first series, don't get sideways because there's so much more to come. I mean, even, so the show is designed around series or topics and there's multiple episodes within those topics and sure we plan on doing like little offshoots like one-off episodes of just a topic that can be handled on one episode but for the most part um you know it's all series based and so this first one was around the identity and vocation of a missionary and what a modern missionary and what goes into that and kind of giving you a behind the scenes, honest look at that. And again, that's only for modern missions. We're not talking about missions since, you know, Paul or whatever. We're not getting into that mm-hmm. yet. Um, and, you know, a little secret that I'll share with your crowd that nobody has heard yet is the next series on the show is White Savior. And it's hosted by all people of color. And um, and it's giving a inner uh, insider look on the White Savior complex and how that is destroying the world and um, which is so often applauded and clapped like cheered on by evangelicals as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, and then beyond that, we are moving on to very complex topics, you know, so further in the first season, I, you know, we plan to do an LGBTQIA missionary series. We plan to do spiritual trauma series and all of this stuff. But um, so by my hope is that by the end of the first season, it will be a very well like put together foundation of like um, the missionary identity and vocation. And then if it's good enough for a season two, 
then people want that. And I am open to opening that up to the crowd to <laughs> help pick out topics, you know? So I'm, I'm yeah. just here for the ride. So I don't have a five year plan, but, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm open to seeing where it goes. Yeah, that's, that's great. That, that is, that is, uh, r- really great. Um, well, I definitely uh, urge everyone to check out Corey's podcast, uh, Field Missionary, and listen for yourself, and um, subscribe there because it's the the first episode had was really uh, great and and um, very enlightening to listen to as someone that never did an international thing. Um, it's definitely uh, very very interesting um, and very informative too. Um, Corey, where can people find you? Uh, online and elsewhere oh man i'm I'm so weird with the personal thing uh well the (laughs) the the show is failed missionary everything failedmissionary.com um facebook forward slash failed missionary and the same on instagram twitter is a little limiting on the characters so it's just failed missionary um that's the reason behind that and then personally (laughs) uh, on twitter it's where is cory now.com and that was my username when I was a missionary because I was bouncing all over the place. And that was usually the common question I got was, where are you? So, uh, <laughs> so it's still the nice. same and, um, Facebook, you know, it's just my name. So cool. Well, Corey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah.